Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of The Testing Peers. Tonight we are going to be talking about failures in our careers and how we've dealt with them and learnt from them. We're joined by the usual usual crew, so I have Chris. Hey. David. Hello. And Russell. Hello. And I'm Simon, if you didn't realise that already. We'd like to thank Saffron QA. Saffron QA continue to be our sponsor and they are also here to help support the testing community. Therefore, should any of our listeners be in the market for a new job in testing or hiring new talent for your team, please reach out to Ben. He can be contacted via email at ben at saffronqa.co.uk. I believe I'm handing over to Mr. Banter. Chris. Good evening, my good fellow friends and peers. Nice to meet you. So looking at the uh, Zoom screen, listener, as I am seeing with my friends, I'm reminded of the good old days when people used to play computer games in person on a really small CRT monitor, maybe four player, if you happen to have one of those machines. Now, were there any of those games that you played with your friends that you legitimately had no chance of ever winning? Were there any games that you just couldn't win no matter what? John Madden NFL. I could never play it. My friends always knew how to play it and I had no idea what I was doing. There was no chance I was ever going to win at that. There were several other games in that kind of ilk, Sega Mega Drive sports games that I was absolutely useless at. I would echo that. Any football game, I couldn't couldn't pass a ball between my players. I would just give it away <laughs> and just, yeah, I just didn't get to grips with them. Couldn't do it. I'm pretty average at lots of games. I don't remember one I've been kind of trounced at or bad at, if I'm honest. I'm just Mr. Joe Average, I guess. Sorry, Chris. You know, I'm really looking forward to the testing peers FIFA tournament. It's going to be a right, right classic. I can see already. We all need to have some sort of machine to be able to play it on. <laughs> so for me, as a kid, my brother used to play Jimmy Connors tennis on the NES with me. He obviously had read the magazine, you know, Games Master or, or whatever that the main magazine was. I didn't have a clue, and I was his little brother. I was three years younger than him. He absolutely mullered me every single time. And then he got another tennis game on our math system, which was called Wimbledon. Same thing. Absolutely mullered me every time. It was an absolute flipping miracle if I ever beat him at tennis in real life or on the computer. And it's sort of, you know, I'm not scarred or anything, but, you know, I don't want to play him anymore. And you don't play tennis in general? Mm, well, I did used to play tennis and the pandemic happened. And then I moved country. Small things. That wasn't a failure. That was a good thing. But anyway, failures in the workplace, failures in our test cases, failures in our careers. They're kind of prevalent, right? All the time. Mm. But how we deal with them, what we learn from them, what we do about it, that kind of shapes who we are, where we go forwards, right? I think failures are a part of life. We need to accept that things will go wrong at times. The important thing, I think, about failures is to expect them, accept them, and then also learn from them. They are learning opportunities, especially if you hold your hands up and go, this hasn't gone right. The worst thing you can do with a failure is to try and hide it because it will be found out and therefore the repercussions of that will be massive. Mm. I look forward to failures. I always, whenever I look at new tools, I always want things to go wrong. I hate these sales reps who come in and show a seamless demo for mm things that you know how how you can use this tool in your workplace oh look how wonderful things and it all goes swimmingly 
as soon as someone else touches it, there will be a failure. There will be something that goes wrong with it. And that's when you learn, because that's when you realize, actually, this tool isn't fit for purpose for us because we will use it in this particular way. And that's the importance of failures is, is recognizing what things work for you. If they fail, they're failing for a particular reason. And finding out the, the key reason why that's failing, you learn from that. Your point there, learning, I think, is the critical thing. I think there's a the thing with the word failure. It's a term, certainly within the sort of culture I was brought up in, that is a negative thing. You avoid failure. That's kind of the world I was brought up in. Don't want to be a failure. And that, that's partly self-pressure, partly society and so on. To your point, it's about learning. And it's much as it's a management cliche, learning opportunity is really, really important. That it's not like we don't want to fail fast. You want to learn fast. We want to find out what's not there, find out if things aren't quite right. We want to get our feedback so that we can make things better, be it a meeting that goes terribly wrong, be it an interview that goes wrong, be it a test that fails. It's all about what that tells us that's important, not necessarily the failure itself. And I have to admit, I try and avoid the word failure and try and put a more positive spin on it as a manager because it is that learning culture that I'm really keen for, that um, I want people to put themselves out on a limb a little so that they can fail, but it's more about the learning things from it. And I've failed more times than I've got fingers and toes and so on. Many times I've failed probably multiple times today, even different scales. You know, I didn't lose someone 10 billion pounds today, thank God. But um, we all fail at different scales and quite often, but feedback, one-to-ones, someone says you can do something better. There's a failure behind that somewhere. It's not critical. Most failures aren't. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of framing to these things, which mm. I think you're sort of talking about, because like, like you say, frame, framing things as like an opportunity to improve is a pretty good way to look at it. But obviously there's context behind that, because if it's a repeated failure or if there's a huge financial cost, um, negligence, those sorts of things are, are different to if something's not worked. I mean, David talks about his science experiments and you only learn things by trying prodding and probing and seeing what happens. Or well, what if I do this? What if I just had a bit more of this secret sauce here? And you know, refining things is, is, is a part of life and it's it's certainly a, a brilliant agile practice. But there is a lot of cynicism that folks will have if they are coming from a culture where they believe that straight shooting is the only way to go. And um, if you if you put your arm around somebody and just tell them it's all right and stuff, they won't ever improve. And this is coming from a place of like, I struggle as a parent sometimes when the kids don't listen, and they don't learn, they don't do what they've been told. There's some repeated sort of things, and there's there's different parenting methods with those. You can sometimes you're tired, you're frustrated, and you just want to you know sort of scream at the top of your voice. Different leadership approaches happen. I've been taught, told about sort of sometimes people just need to be beat with a stick. And and certainly I'm not at all. That was a proverbial stick, people. That wasn't a physical one. Not what I've heard, Chris. Tough love and um, people need to do these things. And it's it's true. Different people respond to different things. There's there's a boy who cried wolf sort of analogy in there uh, about failures that certainly we can learn from automation failures as well um, but if someone yells all the time about even the smallest things you're going to just switch off you're not going to listen to them anymore um if someone if you're going to get away with literally everything with no consequences forever with no accountability probably you're going to give up as well right going back to what 
you've all said failures happen all day long, every day, every every minute is an opportunity to fail and learn from it. Um, as pessimistic as that sounds, but it is, it is as you say, it's the, fra- the phrasing that the use of the word fail does have that negative connotation. And the opposite of failure is almost perfectionism. And it's difficult to find that balance because you want to be able to not see every failure as a big issue and a negative. You want to be able to say, actually, no, I've learned from that today. But if you have the flip mindset, everything's perfect, nothing goes wrong. Then when something does inevitably go wrong, you beat yourself up because it's happened. And like you said, Chris, the example you gave about the leader of the beating the stick, leadership failures can start from how you handled someone, something that's gone wrong with somebody else. It doesn't necessarily all come down to how you deal with it yourself. It's how you look after somebody else, how they've reacted to it. It could all lead to a snowball effect of failures because one thing's gone wrong after the other and it's just exploded. I think the other thing is that we need to be careful with the terminology of failure. As we've said, it's got very negative connotations. And depending on who we speak to or how we speak to them, framing it as a failure can give it very negative connotations. And as you said, Simon, it may not necessarily be the direct line from leadership to other people, but the message, the way that the message is done may be seen as failure, which can then trickle out and, and cause mayhem down the line just because the the message that was heard wasn't actually it wasn't meant in that way but it was perceived in that way in the way that it was given you know we are on the coal face at times we build software that goes to customers and customers have a voice and our managers have a voice so we often hear of production failures of our software and things that we we feel responsible for you know we pride ourselves often on quality on not making mistakes but is it was it Voltaire or someone that said sort of perfect is the enemy of good? You can't, if you if you strive for perfection, you'll not ship anything. You'll not get something good. You'll not get that feedback that tells you whether you're building wasteful or you're building good. And if you try and get and guess everything that someone might say negative, you'll be on it for a lifetime. The same goes for a presentation that you're doing or a um, automated test and anything else that you do. You've got to make it good enough. I think I was talking about something at work the other day and it was also about, you know, quality, what matters. We can't test everything infinitely. Even if we are building safety critical system, some level of risk-based testing, the risk level is much higher, acceptance is lower even, but we still can't do every single scenario, every single thing, every type of test in every situation. We have finite amount of time. So we have to accept good but what that good is, is the debate, because it's an opinion. And after the horse has bolted, we often change our view of what good is. And that's frustrating if you're on the receiving end, as testers often are, managers often are, people often are. Someone moves the goalpost, and it's really frustrating. So we've got to keep ourselves accountable, I guess, to making sure that we're holding ourselves to the same standards for the same reasons and not turning on each other or turning on people, pointing out failures, where actually someone's trying, someone's doing something better. To Chris's point, though, if people are doing the same thing in the same way a thousand times over, yeah, it does wind you up. The whole point mm-hmm. is learning from it, doing something different. Sometimes that learning can take months, hours, weeks, years, because you could be trying to change an organizational culture. So it's just interesting. You've got to bear the context, and we love context here, don't we, people, in mind, because it's all relative. The fear of failure is is very real. Some people I've heard, you know, they're 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 frightened of speaking up for saying the wrong thing. 
for, for fear of being judged. You know, as a as a teenager, I was afraid to go and ask a girl out because I was afraid she was going to reject me. I didn't learn anything by not actioning that. I just told myself it ain't going to happen. And so, you know, lo, lo and behold, it didn't happen. But to, as an extension of your lovely Voltaire quote, Russell, there was um, the great NFL coach, Vince Lombardi, for whom the uh, Super Bowl trophy is named after. He says, um, gentlemen, we are going to relentlessly chase perfection, knowing full well that we will not catch it because nothing is perfect. But we are going to relentlessly chase it because in the process we will catch excellence. That kind of speaks to pursuit of excellence, pursuit of great things, continuous improvement, continuous feedback and and you know, course correcting as we go through. If if we've been, uh, I've been in a release manager position, if we waited for everything to be 100% correct per the spec that was written, probably by the time we released it, it would be very, very out of date. Like if you don't release things because you're trying to wait for 100% perfect quality, goodness, inverted commas, before you actually release it, probably you might never achieve it and you'll never share your goodness with the world i think that it's okay to try and get to perfection as long as you realize that you can't actually get there however putting the other spin on that i wouldn't see it you we shouldn't see ourselves as failures because we didn't get to perfection and so therefore it's it's a really fine line expect to be tripped up that you can't get to perfection but don't see yourself as a failure because by getting there and also i think that the terminology again with failure it really feeds into that imposter syndrome as people with imposter syndrome expect failure at every turn you know every time they open their mouth every time they do public speaking they expect to fail and it's a really tricky thing again with with terminology and and setting the expectations so that actually Again, it's a learning learning opportunity rather than a failure. Failure is so negative and can cause a lot of problems for people that there always needs to be a sort of positive spin in it as a learning opportunity. I completely agree. And I think the other thing with, with striving for perfection is any failure has the opportunity to completely derail you because you are so focused on being absolutely perfect that any failure can actually stop you in your tracks, paralyze you and you end up going nowhere so it is about setting that context and and what's good enough what should we strive for what's even having in your head what what that north star looks like that you want to strive for but understanding of the opportunities along the way looking at the small steps that we can make and the things that could go wrong along the way the other thing that's clear is it's very specific in on an individual basis what failure means to someone so failure for someone might be a success for somebody else or it might not be that much of a problem. It's just part and parcel. But someone else might see it as the, this huge failure that's hanging over them that they can't get past. So it is about localizing that context on an individual basis, really, sometimes to really understand what are the positives that that person can get out of this. How can we pull them out of it? Because they're seeing this as a huge failure, whereas I can't see it as a problem at all. But they're obviously in that context for a reason. So it's about trying to work with the people that see failure and see that as a failure and help them through it. And that's the sign of a leader that can help their team when the other members of the team are seeing failure and they're not seeing it. It's it's putting yourself in their shoes and being empathetic and helping them resolve those those issues. There's really quite a few things around sort of psychology and things here, like catastrophization and other things that come out of failure. 
to Chris's point, like speaking to um, girls or putting yourself up on stage to do a talk, doing a meetup, doing a podcast. God forbid. At one point, that was scary to all of us, I'm sure. Still is. And it is just interesting. <laughs> Still is, yeah. Um, it is interesting because, as you said, it's, it's interesting. And I'm going to draw a parallel, I guess, which is we, we do software testing. We write tests and they fail. That tells us something. And then we often have to articulate what the impact is. It's not the failure itself. Our test has failed. That's the first key bit of information. Then it's, well, what does that failure mean? And I would hope that we got better at trying to do this in other parts of our lives, but it is hard. We interpret that failure, that automated test, and we have to say, is that a critical failure? Is that just an information? Is it a warning? You know, what's the impact of this? Did it fail intermittently? So we do some analysis of failures. We try and understand the context it's come in to inform other people. That's the heart, because we're informing somebody else usually. It's useful. When it's our own failures, we're not generally informing anyone. It's our own inner thoughts. So we need to almost take a step outside of ourselves. It's very easy to say, hard to do. To look at the failure, to see, well, actually, what does it mean? What's the impact? In psychology, kind of being able to reflect on yourself to see the impact. Take that third-person perspective. It's a very powerful tool to help you understand and learn from a failure. It's a skill in itself. It's the same skill that we learn as testers to articulate to developers, product managers, what it means. You know, and failures on scale, you know, your whole past, um, test suite fails. That tells you something. You probably can't connect to your environment. A single test fails. That tells you something else. You know, you stand on stage and you stutter. That tells you something. I do that. It just means I'm a bit nervous. Once again, my flow, I don't notice I'm doing it. But everyone's different. Every test is different. Every action is different. And it's quite a thing that we deal with failures in so many different ways. Testing, social lives, personal lives, work lives, stand-ups in the morning. Has anyone ever done something and felt someone overspoke them? No. Or someone didn't listen to them and they felt that maybe they were the failure because of it? <laughs> I don't know. I felt that at times. It's, it's We're in danger here of, of talking about failures and all the good positivity and and saying that we come out of these things as if there's a world of toxic positivity and and lots of falseness and, and all these things and and I I don't think that's where we're coming from but we're in danger of talking about failures always as an opportunity to learn and actually sometimes failures just royally suck Failure, yeah. failures can damage your mental health they can set you back months maybe even years financially even fin- well financially mental health can set you back you know physical dangers it can damage your career like failures are really not great yes we can learn from them and sometimes we can learn them very quickly and and in the right safe cultures they're things that we can quickly learn and do these things but i wondered if we got any examples of where a failure has really royally sucked and how we've managed to come back from that brink because we are all still here we ain't in perfect jobs we're not perfect testers. We're still making it up sometimes. Keep your own job, Chris. Obviously, you know, we love our employers, all the rest of us. Uh, well, no, we love our employers, but no job's perfect, right? The perfect Joking. job doesn't exist. Someone's already <laughs> no, got exactly. it. We always want something else, yeah. Exactly. Continuous improvement. We're always looking for to strive for perfection, exactly. There, there are these things that happen, and they do set you back. And, like, I don't know if we've got any sort of coping mechanisms, heuristics, if you will, for trying to 
come back from the brink? Mine's the one I've already talked about, which is perspective. Being able to give yourself perspective, take a step away from the situation. And sometimes it's a physical step, like go away for a holiday, go and visit a friend, go and talk in a coffee shop. Um, it depends on scale. Sometimes it's close your laptop, come back the next day. You know, it varies. But perspective is a good one when something goes wrong. Um, a meeting that you get heated in, that you feel regretful afterwards, apologize. You know, taking that step back, I think, is a really powerful way of kind of getting out the heat of the moment. I think for me, it's recognizing the feelings in the first place, recognizing those feelings that that you recognize as a failure. And then I would say that don't live with those feelings on your own. Talk to someone. You must have someone you can trust. Could be in the workplace, could be externally. Make sure you find someone that you can give your perspective to. You don't necessarily need to have expect anything back from them. So you could almost talk to your dog or, or an animal. Just getting it out there and sharing your frustrations with them can be incredibly helpful. If someone, I would also say to come back to that. If someone comes to you with their failure and you are listening to that to what their thing. Don't always try and fix their problems. Don't always try and give them advice in order to do it. Just be there as a sounding board for to accept what they're saying. Because you don't know the other side of the story. You don't know all the details. You are just hearing it firsthand. So if they ask for help, then absolutely give it. But don't feel you have to just because they're talking to you. I would completely agree with that. And David, you've just said exactly what I was going to say. So I will try and rephrase it in a different way. But the first thing I was going to say was um, that first step is acknowledging and that you've done, even accepting you've done something wrong or it's failed. I had one recently where it wasn't until after the event, after a couple of weeks or so, where someone notified me about it and I went, oh, crap, I did that wrong, didn't I? I didn't handle that well in that moment. And then you start having that feeling of, well, what could I have done differently? But it's, as you say, it's then accepting, you know what, I've done it wrong. And now I need to learn from that. And I need to move on. I need to find headspace in a different way. But then my next step was to talk to someone about what I'd done to try and work out how we could remedy the situation. So yeah, it really is, for me, it's definitely that acknowledgement of it and then finding someone to talk to. And yeah, sharing it with someone and finding someone that's like david said not going to try and fix the problem for you that actually just going to go you know what yeah maybe you did screw up there never mind you know chin up move on kind of thing in some respects is sometimes the best response because then they're almost not dismissing it but they're saying it doesn't matter at this point in time you know we need to find a way forward and and that sometimes can be the thing that kicks you out of it because you're 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 getting yourself over and over and over in your head about it and someone just going yeah, but the sun's still shining. We need to move on and we need to look at something else. Sometimes it just needs someone to help you come out of it a bit to, to move forward. But that isn't for everyone. Everyone has different mechanisms that work and some that don't. I was going to say, one of the other things is it's okay to feel like shit a little bit occasionally. It's a natural human reaction or emotion to situations. Um, it's not okay to feel like shit forever. Don't get me wrong. But you've got to feel, you know, feeling is normal is my point, I guess, ultimately. So accepting that fact, working through that fact and speaking to people, as people mentioned, is a healthy way of dealing with certainly some of the severe failures. And like, we care about people. I don't know about, well, I know everyone else in this school cares about people, actually. We care about people. So guess what? If we hurt someone's feelings, we generally will feel like who afterwards. Yeah, it would be a, a failure of a failure of us in some way if we didn't react like that. 
Oh, well, Good never point. mind. They'll, they'll get over it. Yeah, it's not the reaction that any of us would deem as a success. We've covered a lot about listening and sympathising. What happens if your company or someone in your company doesn't give up, recognises the failure and think, completely blames you? I mean, one option, and I know we're going to probably say it, is leave the company as quickly as possible. Is there any other things that you can do in the immediacy if someone doesn't let that failure go and blame continues with that blame culture? And certainly it's not always the case when you can have a safe place to work, right? It's not always the case that it's someone that you can raise that with. And you can think, you know, I, I, I look at these things as pragmatically as I humanly can. At least I tried. So in this case, at least I try to address it. I try to, if not confront the person, speak to somebody who perhaps has perspective, knowledge, um, maybe some influence or, or whatever, and, and hash it out. Because also I need to sanity check my perspective on these things. Because it could be that I have not read the room. And I don't understand where they're coming from. It's communication. It's not just talking at people. It's certainly a lot of listening. It's trying to understand where it's coming from, why people are like this, um, and trying to resolve it. And it's not necessarily a failure if you can't resolve that situation. Some people don't want to change. I've read failure wrong before. You know, I've thought things were terrible. And when I actually talked it through, I realized that wasn't as terrible as my first catastrophic thoughts had made me feel and that there was other angles and there was other perspectives and I quite like perspectives to help me so it's a very valid point that Chris. Did we have any specific examples that that we've encountered ourselves that we wanted to talk about? How long have you got? Um, Maybe pick one. Do you want today or do you want? (laughs) Well exactly just to normalize failure right let's talk about an experience that we've all had yeah, I'll, I'll go first. I'll break the ice, so to speak. I remember a meeting I was in once with some architects, some other members of the teams and things. I was talking about introducing consumer-driven contract testing. And I, the um, like head of architecture basically just went no and was quite firmly adamant towards it. Exact tone, can't quite replicate. And I pushed and I kept pushing. Well, clearly this is a good idea. We should try it. We should do an experiment if nothing else. And he was just carte blanche refusing. So that actually conversation in front of team members and other things got very heated inappropriately so and that was me failing because i should have taken that outside of that room as in i may well have had a disagreement with this person we may well have different things it frustrated the hell out of me because it was a conversation about this and i invited him along and then he kind of in my view biased kind of snowballed and bulldozed through what the meeting was for without giving me a heads up but that was something again that should have been all talked about outside the rooms i failed to deal with the situation appropriately. And that haunts me even to this day. And that was seven or eight years ago now. Yeah, I have one that haunts me still now. I mean, I had a recent one that I touched on earlier where I said about me getting something wrong and upsetting someone. I won't go into that one now, but I had one from about seven, eight years ago as well where um, I had someone, that one of my superstars wanted to move out of my team and they found a role in another team in the company and I'd, I'd apparently, I'd, I'd agreed, well, I thought I'd agreed with the, the line manager of the team that he's moving into, they were moving into, that it was okay to announce it to my team to let them know this person was moving on. So I went ahead and communicated out, not just to my team, but to all the stakeholders this person was working with, that this person was moving into a cloud engineer role in another team. And then I got an email from the boss of that group saying, what are you doing? 
that nothing's been agreed yet. I've got loads of paperwork to do. I've got new hires coming in. I, I wasn't going to prioritize your hire, your person moving across. But now you've dealt my hand for me. I'm now going to have to push through with yours. And I just kind of caused loads of loads of additional overhead that didn't need to happen because I misread the room. I, I thought things were in place and they weren't. And that was me as a very junior leader going, well, well, I thought I was doing the right thing. I was trying to look out for my team, but I, I got it wrong in that moment. And the fact that I caused that much pain for another team was, it knocked me for a while, it took me a while to get over that. And I didn't really ever build, re rebuild that relationship with that head of the department that I was working so closely with beforehand because it had impacted them quite a lot. For me, probably the most memorable thing is where I misprioritized something. And so deadlines were missed. There've been a few times when, when I've done that in that um, completely prioritized one bit of work over another. I would claim it was miscommunication, but it's probably partly miscommunication on my part and procrastinating. And um, yeah, that, that was a major failure. Oh, I put the pro in procrastination. I think the, the failure that, that haunts me the most actually comes back to my first time around in university. So I was studying history and making that decision, by the way, was a mistake. Um, I chose it because it was where my highest grades were at the end of my first year of sixth form. So I thought, oh, I'm good at history. I'll do that. It wasn't actually what I wanted to study, but it was, I thought, well, that's what I'm best at. So clearly that's why I should study. Anyway, I finished my first year, fine and dandy. Second year, it closely and quickly came to transpire that this wasn't something that I wanted to engage with anymore. Rather than admit this to literally anybody i stayed home and played computer games until a letter came through the post to tell me that i was no longer on my course now the thing that you would do whilst you're university and you're no longer getting your money might be to, to phone up your parents and do the sensible thing admit your problems or maybe talk to your friends about it i did none of those things but what i managed to actually do was eventually get myself on a different course, a more interesting course, studying politics and things. I was driven by failure there because I knew that, or sorry, I assumed that people were going to judge me on these things. I didn't deal with it in any particular way. There's there's certainly a better way to deal with money that you're plowing into the university system than to just stop not communicating with anybody. It was a really, really rubbish time and it broke several relationships both in my family and in my personal life and those things are hard to come back from because like we've talked about here trust reliability communication they're all things that didn't happen and sure i was 20 and i was an idiot but you know like those things will will haunt me for life because they're the kind of thing you lie in bed at night and it's like i've had a good day i'm gonna go to sleep and your brain says you remember that time you did that thing and then all those feelings flood back and you can't get closure on these things either. Very true. And you're right. There are so many examples I could say, other than the one I just said, that keep you awake at night, that suddenly pop into your head at the most inopportune moment, and then that's, that's your night ruined. You're awake for three hours thinking about, what if I'd have done that differently? And I think that's a key thing as well, is it's about accepting accepting the failure, accepting that you, you've made mistakes, et cetera, et cetera. But it's not easy to cut, to, to move on. It's hard. You might even physically move on in that moment from, from small mm. failures, but it doesn't mean it's gone from your system. You will still have it in your mind. You'll still over, play it over in your head from time to time. And like I say, at the most inopportune moment, um, you'll catastrophize what, is, what could have happened if I'd have done it 
like this or you know could it have been worse and yeah it's our minds are wonderful things in that respect yeah and that's why peers are important and it could be on a personal life it could be your work life it could be a paid for it could be chat gpt these days i don't recommend their psychological advice just to be clear it is interesting because we do Failure is inherent in everything we do. If we avoid failure at all costs, then we don't ever move out of our comfort zone. And even in our comfort zone, we can fail. I like to think I'm a relatively experienced leader, but I've still made bad choices as a leader. I've still failed as a leader numerous times supporting people correctly. So we can't avoid it. We've got to manage it to a degree. We've got to try and limit the impact of failure. Like, I don't want anyone to give me a billion pounds because I just don't want the risk of that failure of losing a billion pounds. But I'll take a million, thanks, if anyone's out there listening. Uh, I'll take that, that risk-based choice. But it's it's all about kind of trying to impact and understand what you do and take reasonable risks. If you're scared of speaking in a crowded room of a thousand people, speak in front of two, you know, speak to some friends. You change the risk factor to help you cope and learn and to do it in the safe environment i guess is the point and there's lots of techniques around that that you could do to help you become more accustomed to failing safely be it your software be it you personally and that's where mentors coaches come into it uh, and other things because they're a good sounding board and now i'm going to stop preaching i believe i'm wrapping up so i'll tangent into saying thank you very much for listening to our failures Hopefully this episode isn't an absolute failure, um, but we'll let you be the judge of that. Give us some feedback so we can learn. As always, you can reach out to us um, on social media. You'll find us under Testing Peers and most social media avenues. Uh, you can also reach us at contactus at testingpeers.com. And always, always a shout out to our conference. We have got Testing Peers Con, a conference where we hope to get numerous speakers in uh, to be announced hopefully in the coming weeks to share their views as peers of all of us and that'll be in nottingham and i've forgotten the date march 14th march 14th yeah okay so thank you very much for episode 99 god we're nearly at 100 we haven't completely failed yet then it seems uh, we're still going strong uh, and yes please join us in our conference in nottingham testing peers uh, conference uh, it'll be on the 14th of march 2024 for those who listen way into the future and thank you once again to our sponsor and it's a good night from us for now it's goodbye from the testing peers goodbye, goodbye.